Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to challenge you to follow Christ, and to inspire you to lead a consecrated life. This is part two of our series on God at Work in Kenya, with a focus on Kingdom Life Ministries and Maurice Chihilu. In our last episode, we saw how Maurice got started in his ministry. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, go back and listen to it first. Today, we'll hear about some of his major challenges, his emphasis on the Great Commission, and a little more about his needs for growth. What will come through in this episode crystal clear is this man's utter dedication, and commitment to proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, no matter the cost. To begin with, I asked Maurice to talk about how many churches he is overseeing. In his answer, he splits up the work into northern and southern territories. He works with the northern region under the name Kingdom Life Ministries, whereas the south is under the oversight of James and Amos. You'll hear why in just a moment. I'm accurate on figures in the northern region. And I, I wanted just to mention but a few that are directly under my oversight. We were able to visit very few in our round trips recently. So we have a church in Keminini. We have a church in Kehancha. We have a church in Navaholo. We have a church in Msembe. We have a church in Kapkechui. We have a church in Seremi. We have a church in Kakuma. Actually, two churches in Kakuma. And then we have a church in Mat- Maturu, which is the current head office. We have a church in Eldoret. We have a church in Kapchabosei. We have a church in Nandika. We have a church in Matungu. We have a church in Bungoma and Kiminini. So that makes it about 15 active churches that are fully functional as congregations. And then in the south, how many? In the south, uh, if I can remember very well, we visited but a few, around six by the time we did the round trips, but there were many more. I can remember uh, Nyabisawa, I can remember Agolomok, and many other names that they are a bit scattered. And uh, then we have Kilgoris, where James and Amos are overseeing. We have uh, Ogembo. And so the details are not with me so much for the southern region. Yeah, but we have a good number of churches and study groups there as well. It could be almost around 15 again. That could make it a total of about 30 churches that are congregations so far, but with the varied study groups of scattered brethren here and there. Some of them are Sabbatarians, but we share a larger percentage of the truth in common, but we still fellowship with them. But uh, we haven't... F- yes, yes, in the south. We don't have any Sabbatarian in the north. They are predominant in the south but they are part of these groups. So that for that very purpose, that's why we decided not to just to split the work into two for ease of management because of these other details, because we are not Sabbatarians and there are groups there that are mixed up and we cannot stop them. But as we work together for the unifying of the body, along the way we would find a working formula that would make us one body that would spearhead this truth without these barriers and divisions. Yep. I really appreciated Maurice's heart here on the whole Sabbatarian issue. He sees the Southern group as true brothers and sisters in Christ, even if they disagree on this important issue. 
maybe we could learn from this broad-mindedness in our own context today. Anyhow, next I asked him about his greatest challenges and what he is doing to overcome them. I found his first challenge intriguing. It wasn't persecution from Muslims or the government or even financial needs, but persecution from other so-called Orthodox Christians. I wonder if you can relate. Here's Maurice. Uh, mostly we suffer from being branded as maybe heretics or a, or a cultic, but uh, it has not been an issue so much for now because we have understood the truths and we are backed up with the scriptures and are able to explain and convince and debate and argue and prove it out by the scriptures that this is what the Bible teaches. It was a problem before while we were still struggling to learn and study. Sometimes you wouldn't answer questions as you were supposed to and you would be frustrated because maybe you are convinced that this is not the way it should be but you cannot prove it. Lack of backup and, and evidence would render you as an ineffective witness. But with the time, God has helped us. We have come to appreciate and learn so much truth that it's now much easier to communicate. So that challenge that has been there whereby you are not able to explain has kind of been taken care of. Isn't that something? I ask him what his number one challenge is in ministry. He doesn't say reaching the loss. He doesn't say finances. He doesn't fret about the government or the Somali pirates or Islamic extremists. No, his number one challenge is Christians who come against his understanding and try to undermine him. That just blows my mind. Even so, these persecutors ended up doing the believers in Kenya a great service because they forced them to study in depth. They didn't just have to know what their key Bible verses were, but also how to handle texts that their opponents were using to undermine them. This may be annoying, but it is actually one of the most beneficial exercises to go through, because either you discard your current belief for not standing up to scrutiny, or you find good answers to hard questions, and that ultimately is going to increase your confidence. This is exactly what Maurice and the folks at Kingdom Life Ministries have done. He knows what he believes. And it's not just a surface-level knowledge, and it's not just, oh, well, I read this American tract or this book, and it said this. No, 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 no. This is deep in his bones now. He knows what he believes. He knows what others believe and how to combat those ways of thinking with Scripture. However, this then raises the question of leadership. It wouldn't do to merely recruit folks who are good at preaching and have some leadership skills, but then not train them. No, they're going to come under attack as well, just like Maurice did, and so they need to be prepared. And that's what we turn to next. Here's team member Lacey Dunn's take on Maurice's leadership style. I've been really impressed with the commitment that a lot of these leaders especially have spiritually. They're very interested in sharing the truth. They're not shy about it at all. And to me, that's very inspiring. Um, not only are they interested in sharing the truth with their congregations, but they're really taking the time to invest in their leadership. That way, others can follow in their footsteps and they can continue growing that leadership. And I think whenever you have a leader that is bold enough to realize that they are replaceable, you've got something wonderful in place. And here's Linda Carblum's point of view on Maurice's leadership training. 
He seems to be very grounded and has nothing but passion for the truth and getting the truth out there to as many people as he possibly can in his lifetime and duplicating his efforts through other people in teaching them how to do that and how to lead and how to bring others to to the knowledge of the truth. That's everything that he's about, it seems to me. Here's Maurice again. It's uh, important also for fellow believers with whom we share in this hope to be well equipped to have a thorough knowledge of these truths because they cannot share them if they are not effectively equipped. We have invested locally at our own level in training. We use our local church meetings. We use our local Sunday services. We use our local church programs that we create as need arises and uh, we come together to try and bring people together to share and teach them from a centralized place. That has helped us a lot. When we send them back to their churches, they go back with the convictions, with the truths. We have also tried to visit them in their local assemblies and congregations and introduced a number of these truths to, their, to, to them from their local homes. We've also tried to bring those pastors together and kind of take them through a training so that they are also well versed with the scriptures and with the basics of the teachings that we are talking about. So that challenge to a greater extent is being addressed. It cannot be uh, terminated for once or at one point, but it's a continuous thing. We are finding ways of handling them and uh, we are becoming more confident and more bold as we continue to make discoveries and find the truth that relates to what we are sharing together. He said, quote, they cannot share the truth if they are not effectively equipped, end quote. I wonder how many folks in the U.S. feel equipped to go toe-to-toe with someone who believes in, I don't know, the immortality of the soul or the deity of Christ. We may have some things to learn from our brothers and sisters in Africa. Here's Rebecca Martin. These people are being taught the truth. They really are. They're not, they're not being held back on anything. Not only are they being taught it, they're learning it. Someone can teach as much as they want to, and if the person doesn't pick it up, it doesn't do any good. But these people are learning. They're excited about it. I just think it's very exciting to see the enthusiasm and the excitement that the people have about the truth, the real truth, and sharing it with others. Indeed, Maurice's passion for truth was refreshing to see, especially coming from America, where truth, especially doctrinal truth, is terribly out of fashion. In the U.S. now, we live in what's called a post-truth culture, where everyone is encouraged to create their own truth. However, if there is a God, and I'm convinced there is, then His truth is what matters, wouldn't you say? Anyhow, let's switch gears for a moment and talk strategy. Maurice isn't content to grow one congregation. He's very interested in geographic growth, not only in the countryside, but also in the city. Here's Joe Martin. Yeah, one of the things that we did as a team for the last two days, we went to six places, and the six places were sometimes an hour and a half, two hours apart on the just about the worst roads you've ever seen. But I can see his vision of if I have a church plant here and a church plant here and a church plant here, it's coalescing, is that the word, into a a formidable group of connections 
that are really important because when they walk in, oh, there's Pastor Alicia. Oh, there's Zablon. Oh, here's Pastor Agree. And with the church at Eldoret that we went to late, whatever it was, two days ago, you know, he, he knew you have to be in a city. And so he knew you have to have a connection in the city where the city could come to you. And Eldoret has an international airport, which you, you know. And so it was. he's doing it strategically here, there, and everywhere to build this network of churches for the gospel of the kingdom of God. Hajeri and Jima Ufalmi Wamungu, the gospel of the kingdom of God. What about that? So many of the One God home fellowships and churches we have are not in the cities. Yet, the cities are where people are increasingly moving. It's the easiest way to reach the most people. Maybe we need to learn something here from what they're doing over there. Next, I asked Maurice about his vision for the future. His answer was easily my favorite part of the whole interview. Listen to what he says. My vision for the future of the ministry, if Jesus delays to come, I'm so passionate about the kingdom of God. And honestly, Brother Sean, I have no other business for which I live. I gave up my career just to focus on the preaching of this gospel. I'm investing all my time, resources, and energies to the cause of the gospel of the kingdom. I thought it like this. When I was studying through your links, I think it must have been somebody to do with Dustin Smith or something like that. He said, the kingdom of God is a career of a lifetime. So I thought, if I work as a banker, I will at one point retire or leave work. But there is no retiring in the kingdom of God. So it gave me a lot of energy and said, even if I go, I have a guarantee of a lasting career until when Jesus launches the kingdom, we will be priests and kings to serve together with him. That gave me a lot of passion to pursue the kingdom of God. And um, my vision is simple. I want to reach as many people as possible with this precious truth. Truth be told, that's why Jesus has not come. My convictions were based on Matthew 24, 14. When the disciples said in verse 3 that we need to know what will happen. The sign of your coming and the end of the age. Jesus talked about many things that would happen that would point towards the end of the ages. But there was this one specific thing. He said that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations as a witness. And then the end will come. So I felt like God convinced me like many messages have been preached. But the gospel of the kingdom has not been preached. And that's why Jesus is stirring. So I said, now I got a job to do. I will commit my entire life to the preaching of this message. Ever since that time, I have never looked back. Whatever opportunity and time God has allowed me, I share the word of God passionately, so devoutly. And I believe I would be lying if I would say I have any other plan for this ministry other than to find ways of reaching many people with this truth and help them reach many others and prepare them for the coming of the kingdom of God. Ladies and gentlemen, that's dedication. That's 
compassion. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of when Jesus said, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Luke 9.62 Maurice is not looking back. He doesn't have a plan B. He's totally focused on proclaiming the kingdom from village to village. He, he himself said, My vision is simple. I want to reach as many people as possible with these precious truths. What a, what a life statement. What a vision statement. I wonder, is that your mission as well, dear listener? Of course, not everyone is called to leave their jobs behind and go into full-time ministry like Maurice has, but we are all on the same mission, aren't we? Some of us need to speak up more. Some of us need to get more involved locally or maybe online. Some of us who have means need to fund the work going on here and abroad. We all need each other, and this movement is spreading. So let's get on board with the mission Jesus gave us to preach this gospel of the kingdom to all nations before the end comes. Next, Maurice talks about a second challenge he faces. The other challenge now is uh, as we carry out these initiatives, definitely you realize uh, many African uh, setups, we are still a little bit behind in terms of capacity and the execution becomes rather tricky much as we have the will and the determination but we realize we encounter challenges such as uh, uh, we lack enough capacity we lack enough resources sharing these truths involves some dimension of costs like for example uh, I have been running a simple training it forces me either to visit the pastors and their students in their local churches, which is quite apart from each other distance. And uh, you realize that uh, those students cannot come at the head office as and when they are needed to attend classes. We are offering these classes for free. We are not charging anything, but just the facilitation either to get the teachers to the students or the students to the teacher, and a few resources. We need, like, most of them do not have access to smartphones, which we rely on heavily for connectivity and research. Most of them do not have computers. Most of them do not have access to Internet. So you realize if we are doing our researches, we don't have other... uh, uh, aids or teaching materials and resources that can help us it is the responsibility of the teacher and I have been doing this most of oftenly getting data just to be able to have access to internet and download bunch of materials and information have them into hard copy we have to buy a few stationery to facilitate that uh, we don't have printers that are able to handle volume works you need to do some volumes for the kids for the students you need to have at least some kind of facilitation and uh, resource and to build that kind of capacity however that said and done and fuel is expensive. yes yes fuels traveling costs here and there and uh, if you can bring in students like for one two three four days you know they will need to eat while they are in the school, they will need to to bathe. They will need some facilitation around the center. So these are things that return us behind. For example, what we've been doing, because of all those challenges, 
you can only afford to have a session with the students maybe after they have taken breakfast in their homes you call them to the center the few who can come can come after lunch you can do a session from lunch time till evening let them go back to their homes where they can get meals and even that coming to the center demands transport and all those things and so by the grace of god if we happen to access some small funding from LHI or a few collections we make in our churches we can fuel the car if by any chance there is one or two students who feel a blessing away they can contribute in terms of stationery and uh, maybe fuel a little bit air time for data and all that so those challenges are real and that we cannot stop because they are there because our desire is to get moving and as we are getting moving we are doing the best we can from where we are but the results definitely cannot be achieved as fast as they could if we could have some of these things addressed now we cannot have a specific person we can say you are the one to address these things but we are praying to god and trusting that as we share our vision and our burden and our desire god can put this burden maybe on somebody's heart as many as have a desire to spread the gospel to reach many people and uh, that can become a possibility and this work can move on well number 3 uh it is still related in the same manner most of our congregations if you happen to uh train a few disciples and maybe launch up a church you have to graduate from a simple study group to a local congregation now so the congregation requires at least an identifiable place where they can meet for fellowship for studying of the word which is not in somebody's home because our african setup is rather different much as we are uh, trying to look at the pattern of the early church where they used to meet in the homes some of these meetings in the homes are effective we do them but when it comes to public gathering there is need for a public place whereby it will help accelerate outreach and evangelistic initiatives it is easier for people to come to a central place of worship that is a public place than to ask them to come into a home like on a sunday they would not have that sense of uh, going for fellowship because the minds haven't been transformed yet and uh, it is like a custom people leave their homes and go to a place a common place for worship so that challenge is like um, most of our study groups suffer from lack of such facilities for worship simple structures tin structures we try to solicit money buy timber buy iron sheets and put up an at an identifiable place lhi has been helping in some way raising some funds for us for some of these study groups maybe we lease buildings in urban centers where the fellowships can take place sometimes we lease fields and put there our own structures for use by the church in a few places we have succeeded to get acquire land and uh, some of which we have acquired land we haven't built yet any structure so the lands are lying fallow you saw like pastor agri we bought almost a whole acre of land but we haven't been able to put there any structure that structure when we meet there for our regional meetings we don't fit inside so it remains a challenge and the others have structures that have begun but are incomplete they are open roofs some have no walls and with the challenging weather it's just tricky 
But for the love of God, these people still continue to meet and study the truth. And you can know now that uh, those who are not serious about God, they may not tolerate such environments. They want ready-made things. They may not be able to be willing to come and sit in the open sun or in the wind to study the word. The they would rather come to a complete structure where they would not feel burdened to contribute towards the needs of that church and so on. And that has been the pattern of our people, much as we are trying to educate them that they need to be partners and stakeholders in the building of the body because we may depend on people outside or for friends or support, but there is what we can do locally on our own however small we are trying that in a number of places we have two churches in kakuma that uh, are under such situations i've talked about we have our brothers in kehanja so the list is endless now the biggest challenge is if i am supposed to move faster and set up many study groups you find that when you think about these issues that will face you as the coordinator or as the leader you kind of take a break and say, wait a minute, I cannot go until I'm well organized, until I'm well planned, because going implies a cost. And like for my case now, I have no job, paid job, as in a salary. I don't have that. I'm blessed to have a wife who is working as a government primary school teacher. She brings in very little, but it's my responsibility as a man, number one, to provide for my family, Number two, the spiritual family also has needs. On many occasions, I've been forced to step in to help brothers here and there. Some lack food, some lack medication, some need treatment, some need basics of life and just to make uh, ends meet. So they come to church both to be fed the word of God and to be helped. So in a case where the pastor has no income, he is depending on the same people, maybe for small, small collections for his survival. How can he think about an outreach initiative? You need fuel. I'm blessed to have a small car. Many pastors walk on foot. Many pastors uh, have motorbikes, maybe. And others even have bicycles. Others have nothing. So by the grace of God, he has helped us to some level. We are able to move, but there are still facilitation costs that we encounter with every day and so many of our pastors are in such situations unless one is able to use his brain and think and find a way of earning an income in a noble way many people look down on such pastors because they think they cannot help them because they are unable to help themselves uh, i know i need to be working and I said, I want to invest much of my time in the ministry. And so I have to find a way of redeeming that time so that I don't work for money, so that I can have something I can do that can guarantee me an income at the end of the day or the month, so that even when I'm committing myself to ministry work, there is something, either an activity or a trade, not necessarily a white-collar job, that is guaranteed to bring in some small income that can help my personal expenses that the church cannot take care of. These are plans that I have with the education I have. I have started some initiatives. I'm putting in place some structures that can help me and help others. 
so that we are able to run the ministry, take care of the charges and costs that come by. But even as I'm doing that, it is not something I can guarantee it will it will uh, be ready or it will be uh, it will work out soonest. It may be a long-term strategy that can take time to materialize. We need funding for such things. So he needs funding. He needs funding for evangelism, for travel, for events to cover food and lodging, and for building churches. However, what Maurice just mentioned here, this little teaser at the end, is his plan to become financially independent in the future. We're going to hold off till next time in our next episode to explore that a little more. If you would like to contribute to this ministry now, you can do so by sending a gift to LHI, that's the Lord's Harvest International, which is the missionary agency that works with Maurice and his folks. You can get in touch with LHI at lhicog.com. That stands for Lord's Harvest International Church of God. So lhicog.com, and they have a donate button you can click on on the homepage there. Also, if you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends on social media. This way the the word gets out about what God is doing in Kenya. I'm just so excited about this. We've got one more episode to go, and I'm I'm really hopeful that it's going to encourage you. Also, if you would like to leave any comments, questions, corrections, whatever, come on to restitutio.org, and you can find Interview 58, God at Work in Kenya, Part 2. Lastly, if you would like to email Maurice directly, you can do so at m, m is in Maurice, c-h-a-h-i-l-u at yahoo.com. And you, you, you could talk to him directly and ask him any questions that you have about what's going on there, and I'm sure he'd love, love, love to hear any feedback or support that you have for the work that he's doing there. It is, it is a hard context. I mean, you would not believe some of these roads, some of these churches that we visited. I mean, we're talking about roads that are not only not paved, but are actually like dried out riverbeds as far as just like big rocks and boulders where everyone had to get out of the vehicle just so that it would be light enough to not scrape its bottom too much on the rocks as we went to visit these churches. And we're talking about small churches. These, these are not churches with hundreds of people. These are small churches, but they're spread around, many of them an hour apart from each other or half an hour apart from each other easily. And yet, they, even though they have small congregations, they're, they're small, dedicated congregations. They're not just like people that are there for the food, okay? They're, the, they're people that are there for the, the food that is found in the scriptures. And uh, so, I, I don't know, I, I, can't, I can't say enough about this ministry and what I've seen God doing, and I hope you're encouraged by this. Please share it with your friends. Our, our concluding episode will, will happen next week. Thanks so much for tuning in, and remember, the truth has nothing to fear.